Hi, this is M. Allen Cunningham. I'm an author, publisher, and teacher in Portland, Oregon, and you're in the Atelier. In the Atelier is a place for occasional thoughts on literature, writing, the life of the imagination. Come on in. I'm glad you're here. basement office when I can, or when I'm actively working on something. Today's installment. I get up between 5.15 and 5.30, and I get to work for maybe a solid 90 minutes before the kids wake up. An atelier visit with filmmaker Brian Padian. In a typical year, I'd, I'd then get dressed and take the bus to my day job, but I've been telecommuting this year to my day job uh, thanks to COVID-19 so instead I go upstairs and hang out with the kids or make them breakfast or whatever before they have homeschooling in the abstract I would really prefer a whole day to myself to work but on those occasions when I have actually had the whole day it turns out a lot of it is wasted time I've come to realize that I do better work when I have something to push against like a ticking clock or a day job if those are removed I quickly fall into laziness I'm also not an advocate for writing or working every day, partially due to laziness, but also because I don't think it's healthy to be fully consumed by your aspirations. I did that mostly in my 20s and 30s, and all it really created for me was a spate of negativity. I think in your life there has to be space and things that are tiny and meaningless and fed by both the monotony of everyday life and things outside your selected art or endeavor. When I'm down here in the office, I look out my tiny window, raising the blinds for natural light. On my desk, which my mom gave to me, it's where she used to sit and do the bills. Uh, it's my computer, where I write screenplays and edit whatever video I'm working on at the time. Today I worked on editing together episode 7 of a new project in Final Cut. There's a bulletin board over my desk that has a few pictures on it. One of the day I got married, one of my dad with his mom, my grandma postcard with a poster for my first feature film, The Black Sea, and an 8 by 12 photograph of my son's namesake. He was an actor, so it's a headshot. Whenever I feel low or depressed, I look him in the eyes, and he tells me to keep going. Framed nearby are my diploma from AFI for screenwriting, a certificate from a film festival, a quote from Ingmar Bergman. Behind me are a chair and a couple movie posters of formative films for me, Naked, Lost Highway, Dead Man, and an art piece from the Black Sea that was made by a local artist named Noah Nickel. On the opposite wall are three bookshelves. One is a built-in filled with blu-rays and dvds and then two are bookshelves i've brought in there all these shelves contain film books a whole shelf of film magazines 
like sight and sound film comment filmmaker, but mostly American cinematographers, which to my mind is the most helpful thing a director can read. There's also all my notebooks and journals from across the years, which if I'm feeling brave or hilarious, I'll, I'll read to just look at, back at my naivete and ambition. On the bottom shelf, there's some actual printed out screenplays from films that I studied or love and two boxes with the film negative from my short film, The Big Black Dart. These shelves all, you know, they all have a utility to them. Like I can pick out a book and read it and get use out of it that way. But it's, they are also all sort of totems of this journey. I'll call it for lack of better for how long I've been at this as a filmmaker and screenwriter. And so some of their value is cumulative and can really only be seen by me. Like I, I remember where I was when I got that book or why I bought that book or who gave it to me. Or I remember reading it before I shot my first movie, etc. Over time, it's all melded together. Lately, I've been thinking a lot as a filmmaker about the gulf between a project in its written form as a screenplay and its produced form as a film because a film can never ever be the same as a screenplay it can be improved upon if you're lucky and a lot of times it's worse but it can never assume the same former aspiration as the script because the second you start pre-production and start looking at locations and juggling performer schedules and dealing with the limitations of the budget it slowly morphs into this other thing it's an iteration of the original conception, but it's not the same thing. Uh, it's sort of like planning out perfect day-by-day -day itinerary for an overseas adventure. It's all, it's all ambition and abstraction and aspiration, but then you get off the plane and it's pouring rain and the hotel doesn't have your reservation. That doesn't mean the trip can't be salvaged or even be great, but only from that second forward, it will never line up with what you thought it would be. When I was younger, graduating from film school with an MFA in screenwriting, I gave a, a primacy to the screenplay. It was this holy document from which the great masterwork of the film would be delivered. And I totally under, understand why I thought like that, but now being a writer-director, I put far more primacy in the images, in the cast, in the crew. In a way, keeping with my metaphor earlier a screenwriter is like a travel planner who doesn't always have the flexibility or openness of someone who has actually traveled speaking broadly of course i don't i don't mean that in a disparaging way to anyone who wants to be a screenwriter or who is a screenwriter i'm just saying that back to my previous self i was like a travel planner and like a lot of screenwriters i was bound to the filmmaking process to validate my efforts right you write the shiniest, most amazing document in the world, and you sit there for years waiting for it to even be read, much less appreciated, much less made. Over time, that can really make a person bitter. Especially if you start comparing your document to other documents that have gotten attention, and then your inferiority complex kicks in because it must be due to some inherent flaw or deficit in your document or your person that you're unable to see it because you're such a piece of shit and so on and so forth. For me, directing my own work was a corrective to all that. Or, rather, an attempt to be a corrective to all that. Because those thoughts can be so 
elemental and difficult to dislodge or nullify. The point is, though, I've spent most of my career, if I call it that, because I, I still do have a day job, I've spent most of it awaiting validation from others, wanting to be liked, wanting to be appreciated. It's really a sort of sick, childlike need for approval, if you think about it. Lately, I've just been trying to notice those things when they arise and observe them. I'll continue to write and make things until I die, but my goal in the coming years is to pivot from finding any ego validation in the finished piece, the powers in the doing. You have to see that the only powers in the doing, the rest is noise. When we were shooting the Black Sea, we had a very early morning shoot scheduled one day. We woke up at four, I think, out of the Oregon coast. And the crew laid 100 feet of dolly track along the sand for two different shots we were going to do. The first was a, of a woman standing in the water. And then after that was going to be a fight a couple was having as they were laying in the rocks. So for the woman in the water, the camera would face one direction. And then basically we would flip it around facing the shore. But use the 100 feet of dolly track the same way. So we we planned this. Over and over, we checked the tide tables. We knew we, we had a few hours to get both shots, but around 6 a.m., just as the sky was turning from purple to dark blue, a sneaker wave came in and washed most of the dolly track out to sea. We quickly put the camera on the dolly and Got the first shot of the woman in the water, which didn't even make it into the movie. And then we had to clean up all the dolly track, which was rented, by the way. Um, <laughs> and we had to figure out how to do the other shot and, because it was scheduled for that day. And we had cast and crew and a bunch of schedules. You know, that was the day to get that shot. We didn't have a lot of options. So we had to figure out how to do it. I mean, originally it was meant to track along a hundred feet of rocks near the beach while the audio of a couple fighting was going. And then maybe halfway, halfway along there, we would pass the couple very briefly laying on the rocks fighting, but the camera would keep going for maybe 50 more feet, just showing this rocky kind of landscape the whole time. The shot was designed to put their argument in sort of a cosmic frame, showing it as meaningless, a blip in space and time. But we didn't have a dolly track anymore, so we couldn't do it. So I met with my DP and my grip and my AD, and we, after some back and forth, we finally decided to put the camera on a porta jib, which is more more or less uh, a giant tripod with an arm on it that uh, let us move the camera around them. And so we chose just to circle around the couple, so we'd see them several times as they fought. And you'd get some of the rocks in there, but it would be in a circle rather than a straight line. And of course, that suggests an entirely different vibe and aesthetic and meaning from my original intent. Years later, I, I look at that scene and I think maybe the whole movie might have played slightly different if the original dolly shot was in there. But maybe that's just something I'm telling myself. Maybe the original shot wouldn't have worked. There's no way to know for sure. And so as a filmmaker, you just have to let go. You're continually navigating between the original intent and aspiration and 
the reality of what you have to work with. It sounds slightly noble when I put it like that, but it's, it can really be a drag sometimes. Except when a tiny miracle happens, the light changes or a performance happens or there's an ad lib line or an accident of sound and then it makes the entire thing worth it. Just one of those can sustain you through a project and keep you on the path. Brian Padian. He's the writer-director of the web series Microaggressions, which you can view on Amazon Prime, and the writer-director of the feature-length film The Black Sea. Visit vimeo.com slash brianpadian or northernflickerfilms.com for more info. In the Atelier is produced by Atelier 26 Books. For more information, visit atelier26books.com. I'm M. Allen Cunningham. Thanks for listening. So long for now.